Shall I, shall I do it and then we can crack on? All right. Hello, I'm Joe Talbot from Idols. Welcome to season two of the Mojo Record Club. Hello, I'm Andrew Mayle and you're listening to the Mojo Record Club, a place where music lovers, musicians, crate diggers, writers, readers and special guests get to share their love for classic albums, weird lost gems and brand new revelations. My special guest today for the inaugural episode of season two is Idol's incendiary frontman, Joe Talbot. Joe, welcome to the show. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now, I'm going to give you... How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Um, it's nice to be um, back doing these again, and I'm very, very pleased that you are our first guest for the second season. Now, yeah. I'm going to give you a, a little introduction now, and um, sort of, and then we will uh, lead into a bit about um, the new album. For the past 13 years, Joe, along with his fellow travellers Mark Bowen, Adam Devonshire, Lee Kiernan, and John Beavis, have blessed us with one of the 21st century's truly great live bands and a series of soulful, righteous and stirring records. From the raw and pummeling Welcome EP all the way back in 2011 and 2017's ruthless yet vulnerable brutalism, through to the personal and political joy as an act of resistance, propulsive garage rock thug hug ultramono and the experimental introspective yet uplifting crawler we now have a new album the rich ambitious and impassioned tank i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly released on february the 16th before we speak to joe here is a wee taster of the album the skittering blossoming and euphoric grace written by idols and released on partisan records that your singing and it is proper singing seems to allow you to access the full range of emotions that was always there in the lyrics and the music the euphoria the fragility but also a kind of um emotional fluidity you know that kind of ease of moving from highs to lows was that was that a conscious need to find a voice that could embrace and convey that kind of full range of the idols worldview or is it just something that has kind of evolved from album to album yeah um it's uh it's without doubt um my choice to uh transgress and to to you know like it, if if my vocal delivery lacked nuance it meant that people assumed i lacked nuance you know yeah and it isn't idols philosophies is mine you know and yeah I, i've got to be delicate with that yes and it's you know i just is you, you cannot grow bored as an artist if you grow bored you are boring if you're interested you're interesting yes at least to yourself and that's the only thing that matters and um i'm always interested and i've got no 
interest in staying still. Yeah. And um, I wanted to sing more, you know, that started on Crawler. I enjoyed yeah. it and that's it. You know, and like what comes with that is, um, is, is progress in conversation. You know, yeah. it's, it's people write you off as just some nagging idiot, you know, who's not listening, but I, I'm very capable of listening and I always wanted a dialogue. I did. I never wanted to be a preacher. Yeah. Um, and I kept talking about that in interviews. You can see me quote unquote many times saying I, I want dialogue. I want to open conversations. But to do that, I felt I needed to cut through the violence of advertising and the violence of populace and, yeah. and um, rhetoric within, within popular culture. Um, because let's face it, a lot of that television they're watching is dangerous or yeah. at least desperate to keep you on your sofa and not in the pubs having the conversation about yeah. the state of the world. And um, I found it vital that um, I documented the growth of my mental health and how I learned from it. And that's yeah. all I ever wanted to do was to be part of that conversation. And um, I'm just at a place now after after lockdown, the pandemic, you know, where I learned introspection. I learned that I was very much an introvert uh, as much as I'm an extrovert. Um, and because of that, I wanted to explore that nuance artistically. Mm. When you explore something artistically, it comes out in your art. And that's what Tank is. And that's what Crawler was. Um, and Bowen as well, you know, as, as, as a producer, because we write the music together. But as a producer, we wanted to transgress and push us in new directions. I like that, the fact that the dialogue is, uh, is going on in the music. You get pushback from, your, from the band. You get the sense that as you want to push further, so do they. So yeah, you're not kind of, yeah. So it's, again, that fluidity that I was mm. kind of talking about earlier is there in the music as well. That sense yeah. that you can kind of, you can rise on the waves and then kind of crash down and then kind of come up again. There's a sense of a constant sort of, which I really get from this album, a constant kind of like sense of movement through different moods, through different heights and lows, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Feels good. And one of the things you were saying about um, that relationship with, you know, your own mental health, but also talking about mental health. While I was doing my prep for the podcast, I got, you know, one of the great things about YouTube is the kind of the fact that it is this kind of forum for, it's one of the terrible things about it. But when it works, like comments under, over, under old rave videos, whatever, when it works and it kind of brings together communities of people, it's wonderful. And while I was doing prep for this podcast, I got caught up in the comments underneath the video for for Dancer, so, which I think was the first track you released off Tank. As long as we 
from the new album, Tank, uh, released on Partizan Records. And specifically, there was this guy in Vermont, um, a wheelchair user, who'd been introduced to idols by his caregiver. And he was saying that your music had given him a new lease of life. And he described your philosophy in a phrase that I was kind of quite envious of because it was so good. He described it as aggressive acceptance. Yeah, and he said that, that he said that the sound of idols had given him this new, new lease of life, which in itself was was fascinating to read. But what was lovely about it was then the series of comments underneath from people who were obviously kind of long term idols fans who came in and were embracing him and saying welcome, you know, and kind of been talking about their own ways in which the music had saved them and talking about the community and everything. And it was just, you know, it was something that when you see it working like that and you see it in action, and as you say, you see it removed from the noise of the media and everything. It was, um, it was fantastic. It was, a, it was a real, especially reading it whilst the video was playing, was absolutely lovely. That's a really beautiful story. I mean, the thing to remember is that they are actually all saving themselves. It's nothing to do with me or us. It's yeah. them. He's given himself the strength to come back. Uh, from wherever yeah. he was and I suppose having that trigger like like you said about, about it's of, about yeah. it's about reflection I'm just handing them yeah. a mirror my mirror is their mirror that's what art is yeah. and like that strength is is from community and that's something that they've also built we you know we just kind of handed them a mirror yeah and uh it's it's beautiful to watch and it's beautiful to see and uh and I've, but I think accountability and praise needs to come for them because yes. they've done that and they've built that. And yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's worth it's worth having a little look at. It's a very moving little kind of snapshot. I love that, yeah. Um the record you've brought in to talk about today is to these ears, but maybe not after listening to what you've just been saying to me, to these ears, it's one that seems very removed from your lyrical world and idols world it's the self-titled 2009 album by um ontario gothic indie folk blues collective although it's really a one man uh-huh. group called timber tamba and um, before we discuss it maybe let's hear a little sample this is the eerie slow burn groove of a track called i get low written by taylor kirk and released on the arts and crafts label in 2009 I get low 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 on my own Can you remember when you would have first heard Timber Tamba? Yeah, I was writing a small column for a Bristol music magazine. I've forgotten the name of. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Fuck them. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. I just can't remember yeah. the name. I'm terrible with names. So that, um, but what I, year would, would that have been 2009 when it was? Yeah, because uh, I was doing reviews. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I heard this record. I, I think I described it as um, Arcade Fire meets someone, someone else sung by the Monsters. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like... It, it was tough to pick which which album because the concept of it is these hidden gems and like yes for me it sounds very dramatic but I think it's important to express it truly is that these albums that come about for me are like lifelines they keep me afloat in times where I fear the 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 hegemonic drudge where I feel yeah. like I'm suddenly a passenger. You know? And you have to pay attention to the news or whatever, but there's like just these moments where I'm like, what is what is gonna come and just revive me and give me because I can make all the time, you know, I'm always making, I'm always writing, yeah. I'm reading but there's something about music where I'm, I'm at this point at the moment, I think, where I'm like, I just need, I need this injection of vitality. Music, yeah. music is my, is, is, has been since I was a very young boy, since I was given headphones from my dad. Yeah. Music's been like my safe place yeah. and it's allowed me to explore landscapes and it's what, we as a band give to me is I get given a song which I treat as a landscape which then I, I, I walk along until the, I find the lyrics so that sounds wanky but it's true um, and there's just certain albums that just reinvigorate my imagination my lust for everything and this was a moment that came about I'll mention the other albums later because I think it's important to talk about. Oh, no, please do. I'd like that, yeah. Um, but this album just came out of nowhere. And obviously, as you rightly said, it doesn't sound like something I, I would necessarily write. But that's the beauty of my inspiration is it comes from art galleries and it comes from albums and, and voices yeah. that are nothing like my own. Yes. I grew up listening to hip-hop. Those are voices nothing like my own. Culture, yeah. nothing like my own. I grew up on soul music. I grew up on blues, you know, and it's not about that. It's about giving you a landscape to walk along and to, to feel life yeah. underneath the life, the energy, the life form, the, the, the forces that make life so violently brilliant. Mm. And it allows you a language to explore your own pain, your own anguish, your own joy, your own lust, your own hunger, your own fear. And that's the beauty of art and poetry and music because it gives you that thing that just you bounce off, you reflect off. You're given a mirror, right? Yeah. And um, this was like just this doom-like, bluesy, pitter-patter 
music that I was just it take took me away. I couldn't I couldn't escape it for a good month. I listened to that album straight, you know. He does. He creates complete worlds in his songs, doesn't he? They have the quality of short stories. Yeah. You know, you they are written from. One of the things I really like about this record is that hardly any of the tracks, maybe none of them, are written from the perspective of Taylor Kirk. I mean, there's one song that's sung from the as a as if from the perspective of a corpse in a shallow grave who falls in love with the woman who digs him up and takes him home. Mm. There's another from the perspective of a prisoner facing execution in an electric chair. Mm. There's one that I think seems to be about a ruined king, like the king in yellow or something. Mm. There's another one about a guy who crashes his car into a tree. The car appears to have some ancient sword in the boot or something. You know, each of them are constructed like kind of these perfect little short stories, yeah. like as kind of tying in with that thing you were saying of each of them giving you a world to lose yourself in, a landscape to walk through. Absolutely, and like also it is it it's it's their characters, but it's it's within they they're creating a world to express themselves in. Still, you know, yeah. for 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 people listening that don't know Timber Tamba. Um, and our fans of like Nick Kay, for instance, who also creates characters. Yes. There's other artists. There's two I can think of from from the UK that are beautiful examples of people that use characters to write tragic or vivid or lucid stories. Uh, Richard Dawson, yes, uh, especially his early work, like Poor Old Horse kind of era. Yeah, uh, and uh, David Thomas Broughton. Oh, uh, a genius. Yeah. An, an unheralded genius, yeah. David Thomas Broughton. Yeah. yeah, and like they both create these characters, you know. I get because he's he, David Thomas Broughton writes a song about the perspective of a, a dead soldier buried. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like they, they create worlds and like it's fucking magic, and you can feel their pain still, and yeah. you, you can feel their joy still. But it's through characters, and um, it's something that I can't do. I don't. Have I? But you, I mean, you do, but you, I, I, I suppose the, the idea is that idols as a band do, because as you said, the band create landscapes in which to live, because that's how you hear the music, spaces in which to walk, you know, yeah. uh, rooms to fill, yeah. you know, and you do do that. It's just that I suppose kind of from your perspective that it's being drawn from your, you know, life, your past, your pain or whatever. Yeah. But to someone who like me, who's listening to it, you know, I'm not because I'm not Joe Talbot. They are they are these characters, yeah. who, you know, whose worlds I can inhabit and kind of use them for, you know, release catharsis or kind of you know empathy or whatever. You know, mm. they do work in the same way. I think I'm trying. I'm good. <laughs> 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 I'm trying. I'm trying more to uh, explore the ideas of characters. Yeah, which was going to be my was going to be my next question. You're listening to the Mojo Record Club with me, me, Joe, 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 Joe. So, Joe, are you trying to explore the idea of characters more in your music? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, because I was, it was, it's a problematic writer. Um, it, I can't remember. It's kind of, he's kind of psychopathic. Um, he's like a life coach type guy. I've forgotten his name. I don't, I haven't read much of him. Oh, um, Andrew WK? No, no, no. 
Because I thought life oh, coaching oh, it, kind of. It might. It might. I'm saying no. I don't know his name. Right. I'm terrible okay. at names. Um, right. I'm. You know. I've. I've made notes for this in in interview so that I don't fuck it completely up. Um, <laughs> but there's um anyway, and he was saying that basically. We all play characters all the time. That's a survival yeah. technique. The more characters you can play, the more dynamic you are as a person, thus mm. successful in such a volatile environment as modernism. Anyway, yeah. um, but like I you know, you, you do wear different masks. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hide that. I wanna celebrate that. And like, you know, that's the artistic thing is, you know. You at times, you know. Now I, I have a child. You know, I I am I wear a different mask. It's a new mask. It's something I'm learning. Yeah. It's a very, very beautiful mask, and it's it's also a very important one. Um. At one time, I might have been staggerly. I mean, I wouldn't ever be staggerly, but you know that the essence of that, you know, like the idea you wear different masks and you play different characters in order to exorcise. All sorts yeah. of demons is a beautiful tool. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm exploring that. You know, I'm trying to think of the songs on this album. Uh, I don't know if I play any characters. I'm definitely wearing my masks. <laughs> yeah. I always am, you know. So. Or stripping them away. You know, I think there's kind of both things go on in 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 idol songs as well. That kind of that process of kind of yeah the the mask wearing, but also that kind of process of rev- gradual reveal. Yeah as well of kind of new things that you're kind of accessing in yourself or, or, or the music as well. It's very therapeutic, isn't it? In that sense, you know? Yeah, because absolutely. As, as, as listener and, and as kind of, you know, composer, I would imagine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you're, you're kind of going to, you're going to this space, aren't you, where you can do all these things, things that you can't do in real life. Or if you did, you know, in the past, it would have got you into a lot of trouble. And now you, you know, and now you're a change man, so you can't do that, you know, but it kind of, it still allows you that safe space in which to do all those things or express all those emotions. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was thinking the other day about, well, I was talking to my girlfriend, uh, shout out to George. Um, and we were talking and she was talking about, you know, you could go to the woods and just scream. Mm. And I was like, yeah, people do that. I was like, I don't know if I'd have the, what's the word? <laughs> the, I don't know how I would do that. And that's an yeah. interesting thing because I, I, I kind of, in a, in a different way, do that every night. Yeah, you're doing a version of that. There's a song, there's a Bill Callahan song called The Well, which is about that, which is about not being able to write. And he, got, and he kind of, he's, he angrily throws a beer bottle into the garden behind his house mm. or the wood behind his house and then he panics about like a deer or something stepping on the glass and cutting itself so he goes into the wood to pick up all the bits of glass and then while he's doing that he finds a well and he and he finds inspiration just by shouting fuck everybody down down the well and so you know which is kind of exactly what we're talking about that is that sort of sense of like you act in real life, you feel bad about the way you've acted in real life, and then you find a way to express a it. A safe place, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. well, shouting down a That's well. That's a beautiful metaphor. Bill Callahan's quite good, isn't he? He is, he is, yeah. <laughs> my, my dad absolutely <laughs> loves Bill Callahan. I only got introduced to him quite late because he did that. 
he, he got he got some publicity didn't he, about right was it was it was it war on drugs he had a problem with <clears throat> yes oh no that wasn't that um no that was uh, mark kozilek wasn't it who had the problem with war on drugs oh um, yeah what's his name what's his uh, stage name oh um was he in uh, red house painters yeah, he's is the 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 act he kind of, his main act he's associated with is Red House Painters. Mark right. Cosmo. Yeah. 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 So, so he got, was he was the one up. who got into the Barney. Yeah. It was a similar time though, because Bill Callahan that album, the paint the the painting of Bill Callahan that album. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, you, I can see. I can see how, especially if you're dancing to both of them as well. Yeah. I'm, again, I'm terrible with names both ways. So like. Yeah. I just. But um. The other thing I, I like as well about the listening to because it's not an album I knew well. This Timber Timber album, I kind of knew their early. They've got two really sort of rough, or he has two really rough home recorded albums. Yeah, which I like that kind of were properly sort of you know recorded in a barn type business. And this is his first properly produced album, and it is. I mean, I and it, and I like how he kind of embraces the sound, but also how he can make his voice sound because his voice is. I would describe it as seductive yet sinister. Mm. You know, there's something kind of quite like, I'm not sure whether I trust this man, which is also something I like in songs, unreliable narrators, people who you don't necessarily know whether you should be believing or not. Yeah. It, he's definitely using his timbre um, yeah. to create that character. And, you know, <clears throat> I, don't like to, I don't like to talk about people's appearance because it's boring. But um, he definitely plays that character visually as well. He uses his appearance, yeah. doesn't he? And so he, I think, yeah, stage, absolutely. Yeah. Stage show, there's like, I haven't seen it, but Bowen, our guitarist, went and he said it was incredible. And there was just like one spotlight on him, and that was it. Mm. But it's that, <clears throat> it's a strange timbre, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's kind of like, uh, it's a thing you do, soul singers do it, especially as a technique, where you close your voice up and it's what happens when you're trying not to cry and you're talking and it evokes people to cry when they listen. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's okay. I love anything like that heartbreak soul or something, you know, kind of dark end of the street, that kind of stuff. Oh, it's you know, when they're, Yeah, exactly. When their sense of like holding back the... And, um, oh God, who is it um, I saw you mention recently who I'm a huge fan of? Lee Moses. Oh, fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you could, I mean, you could have chosen that album. That's an astonishing record. It is an astonishing record. It good, good, but uh, I don't think Bad Girl's on it, though, is it? There's a there's a compilation that has got all the singles on oh, okay. it, that, that is, and which you can pick up for like 17 quid or something. They brought out this compilation of all the A's and B sides. But, you know, my, you my, uh, my introduction to Mojo podcast, I'm not going to pick a compilation. That's fucking sacrilege. Isn't it? <laughs> Jesus. it is. Yeah. No, it is. Absolutely. No, I'm not saying that should have been your choice. Why He's, didn't come you on, pick he picked a compilation. I can't believe it. He's normally, he's not a real punk. Um, is that the, is that the generic Mojo reader voice? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm a, I'm a generic Mojo reader. Thank you very much. Um, oh, good. I'm pleased about that. But, um, yeah, no. So, uh, I've actually, Anyway, yeah, I did a compilation for Mojo. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, yes, um, you did, yeah. yeah. Did. Um, anyway, so that he does that, but he doesn't evoke crying. It's like this, it's almost like he's the, the voice of like 
he's pretending he's a fawn and he's pretending to be uh, yes. have a broken leg. He's drawing you in, yeah. but there's, oh, you know, absolutely. You know, he's, he's, yeah, it's like the snake, isn't it? You know, you kind of, there's something he's, he's, he's a trickster. Yeah. You know, if we put him within the classic narrative tradition, he's a trickster. A sinister, what he's doing. a sinister yeah. raconteur with a dagger. Yeah. yeah. But he's, you, he's you, fucking great anyway. And I love, I love his voice. I think it's beautiful. Uh, you know, it, there's, uh, there's another album, uh, is it hot, hot something? Oh, yeah. I see. I should have. Um, good, I should have written I'm... that down somewhere. So as I sound like I know what I'm talking about, but it's kind of the one. It, it's the one that comes out after this, and it's the one that he. I think he was his biggest hit in terms of like sales. Oh, was it Hot Dreams? Yeah. That's it. Hot, Hot Dreams. Dreams. Yeah. It's a bit. There's way more depth to it production wise. It's a bit more soulful. Um, yeah. Uh, and his voice is obviously it evolves in that with that musicality, but you yeah. know he's gone much. He's gone darker again on later albums. Hot Dreams is yeah. a fantastic album. But yeah, so I like his voice. It's great. Um, it's kind of similar to uh, Orlando Weeks. Yes, the Maccabees. definitely. And it's got that yeah. similar timbre. Um, but you, I mean, you kind of had, because you were saying you had like a bit of a nightmare deciding on which album oh, to choose for the yeah. podcast. Okay, I'll tell you why. What was Because the, there's, 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 yeah. there's a succession of albums that have changed my life. This being yeah. one of them. Um, the first album was Lab Cab in California, Far Side, but I've talked about that many times because yeah. it was the album yes. that changed my musical path yeah. and introduced me to hip hop. The second being Astral Weeks, same thing. It introduced me yeah. to a new realm of stuff that gave me a vocabulary to express myself. And then after that came a bunch of albums and I was like, you know, your perspective of age and time grows more skewed as you get older and I was like there's some albums in that time of the the indie <clears throat> revolution that are yeah. just mind-blowing and overlooked I think it's I think it's <clears throat> going to be in the same way that people used to reach back into like the years 71 to 74 and keep picking lost albums yeah I think that area, the era that you've just mentioned, is going to be the new era of the lost album because I think so. Again, like the early seventies, so many records got released. Yeah, so many kind of bands kind of came and went, and also people certainly, you know, reviewers were kind of so caught up in what was on trend yeah. that anything that existed outside of those worlds kind of got swept to one side. It's like. The trend that um, Pitchfork has for kind of revisiting albums that they gave two out of ten and giving it eight out of ten, but you know there's that sense of like kind of this is I think you're right this is the, like the new era of the lost album yeah because what with the album that you kind of were going to include can you tell me a bit about that um, the first one you chose the first one I chose was Trams Grin yeah <clears throat> which I'd never I'd never heard that record it's beautiful isn't it. It's amazing. I just, Can you tell? Maybe tell the listeners. <clears throat> we're going a bit off track, but I'm enjoying this. Tell me a little bit about who this band are. Trams are a Brighton-based post-punk band, I guess you could call them. But they're more—they're uh, very dynamic. I wouldn't just cut. Don't don't put them in any genre. Actually, forget I said post-punk. They're a beautiful musical outfit that have done many different things um with their albums they had a hiatus so they went on a quiet period the last thing they did before their hiatus was one of the best songs in my life uh i think it's a house on fire i 
I, I want to say House on Fire. Look up Trams, T-R-A-A-M-S. Um, and it was the last thing they did before the hiatus. And it's just this brilliant seven-minute song. Reminds it, It's what Rattlesnake is to a lot of people by um, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Yeah. It's a similar vibe, but I think House on Fire is just the perfect post-punk song. Um, I am going to dig it out and we and we will play it after we've talked about thank it. You. Tell me why why you think it works so well. Um, it's unabashed drive and it's perfection. Yeah. It's nuanced. Every tone, every turn on the guitar, the repetition of the lyric, everything is done with poise and it's just executed perfectly. Is it, you know, if you're going to have the, the motoric note nature of post-punk as your yeah. tool, you need to be very economic with it to do a yeah. seven minute song of repetition is hard. Rattlesnake and house on fire are two examples of it that are brilliant. Ice bear grout zona is another example. Um, and then there's loads of techno songs, but yeah. <clears throat> we won't go into that. That's another genre. Um, but I think House on Fire is the, it's just the perfect post-punk song. I love it. Okay, let's hear a little bit of that track. This is A House on Fire by Trams, released on Fat Cat Records in 2016. When you're kind of you, because you were talking earlier about the role of these albums that they kind of provide sort of succor in a sense, you know that they kind of they're they're, they're there for sort of help and warmth and safe spaces and everything. Yeah. But I think when we were we were kind of when we were talking about um, Timber Tambo, we were kind of talking about the lyrics, and it's easy to sort of fall into that trap when you talk to someone who is primarily a lyricist and a vocalist to focus on lyrics but to to my mind and because of the, who the who idols are i get the impression that you are also equally attuned to how well something exists kind of the musical world that is created for you that musical i'm not interested in lyrics really i couldn't tell you the lyrics of any of my favorite albums it takes me a long time and i'm probably you know as you would in a gallery you'd have to read the plaque to understand what the painting's about but i'm not interested in the plaque I'm interested yeah. in the painting. I'm interested in the landscape. A lot of people would be surprised to think, to, to know that I am only interested in the music. I think lyrics are my therapy. And once they're written, they're done. I write them at the microphone in the booth. I don't ponder on them. I don't pontificate. I write the lyrics and I leave them. Um, I think melody is more important to me um, as a taste. And good example, Grin by Trams, the album that came out. It wasn't the music that captured me. And I think that's why I love post-punk is because it's often a repeated phrase. You can latch onto that yeah. phrase and that phrase creates a landscape yeah. um, because it's repeated and it's a, it's, um, it's a mantra or it's a, you know, the, the, the lyrics are more economic in, in post-punk and, and punk music. You know, there's, there's less 
it's not you know like the Smith song. I couldn't tell you any lyrics. I love their music and I love it. I, you know I don't like Morrissey obviously, but um, um, I love his the paintings he pick, pick uh, the paintings he paints. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't be able to recite anything. Um, I like, but I your like, ear, like, your ear is attuned to the sound that your lyrics make. You know, because yeah. I think that's the thing. Like, because the to say, you know, because obviously, you know, it's fine to have you know lyrics that have that kind of therapeutic role and and that, and that necessary kind of cathartic role. But you are also listening into the kind of the crunch of them, that onomatopoeic kind of mm. punch and 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 fluidity and crunch that they have when you're kind of writing them yeah i mean that's why i i quite enjoy the the use of onomatopoeia because i think it's the most visceral version of language you know um, yeah and i've always seen words and and, and poetry as uh, you know my granddad kind of got me into poetry it's like a sense of um physicality to it it's it's yeah. not it's not writing a story it's 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 painting. It's using a brush, mm. I, and you know that's why I love impasto because you see the brush strokes. You can see it, yeah. the, the making of it. And I, I'm interested in structure, and I'm interested in brutish art, and I'm interested in the violence of art. And that saved me from my path, my life path yeah. changed because of music and art and poetry. And these kind of moments in music take my imagination and hand me the mirror and then I'm in, I'm re-empowered I'm empowered again and Grin did that and and yeah. and, and Timber Tamba did that um Grin it was it was an interesting place because it was you know we were we were um we were bands at the same time. We supported them yeah. in Stoke Newington, I want to say. I don't... So you've you've met them and you know them. And... Yes, yeah, yes. The, yeah. The, 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 the Stu, the, the singer and composer of Timber Tamba is, is a friend of mine. We, we, yeah, we supported them a long time ago and stayed friends. And we had a very interesting conversation about the fear of uh, ever playing on the same stage as Girl Band or Giller Band, as they're now known as. Yeah. Um, and we bond, you know, we bonded because we were we were we were coming out coming up the same time, and I looked up to them very much so musically because I just think they're a fantastic band. And I listened to Grin after they supported us, and it came out, and like it just it ignited something in me because I, yeah. you know, it's that thing. It was at that period of time where, like you say, it was the hangover of indie. By then, it was depleting. Yeah. There was still like hundreds of bands coming out every month and new albums everywhere, which meant that especially in, in the, in the, in the later period of that music, um, no one was interested. So there's these albums got overlooked and like, I just think that album is just a brilliant, it's like, you know, it's a masterpiece of music. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, I really, I really appreciate, I mean, in a way I'm pleased that you chose that and then, Change to Timber Tamba because if you'd just gone straight to Timber Tamba, I'd have missed because I, I know Timber Tamba, but I'd never heard Grin as an album before. And I, you know, and I was, it was just like kind of, and it's that thing where you kind of, you obviously, you know, you can't hear everything and you know you can't keep up with everything, but there's still a part of you that kicks yourself and you go, yeah. How did I miss this? How did this kind of slip by? So I'm really glad that we got it into the, the show because I think kind of. I think a lot of people will get a similar sort of feel off it. That kind of just, 
again, as you say, that sort of driving, sort of visceral kind of, but also just the overall sound of the group. It's not, sometimes you can hear all those elements, as you say, that sort of motoric quality, which so many bands kind of will now sort of fall back on. So much so that when you hear a band do it well, you know, and you hear a band do it right, it just kind of jumps yeah, it out does. at you. And, you know, the, it's, yeah, it's that moment, isn't it, where you just, you, you are just whisked away by someone's brilliance and, and like, they've done it. And, they, you know, their, their new album that came out, uh, where, where are we now, 24, two years ago, like, a year and a bit ago, Personal Best, is like, it's a transgression and it's them and it's brilliant yeah. and it's amazing and it still captures my imagination and they're still an incredible band. Um, I just, I, I, I love that. And I think, you know, the nature of the way, the, the volatile um, nature of British culture means that a lot of bands are overlooked, but it certainly, as an industry, sorts the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. Unfortunately, now I think it's more economically led. I think poor bands are just never going to make it because yeah. the political landscape doesn't allow for poor bands to make music, especially with Brexit. Congratulations yeah. on that shite. Because now poor bands cannot talk. Full stop. No. The cost of and living also, prices you know, in this country means they can't tour, and Brexit means they can't yeah. tour anywhere else in the fucking continent. Yeah. Um, so it's different now, but I it did sort the wheat from the chaff, you know? Like, it's always been the case that working class bands are just uh, fucked, and it's harder to tour and on, on the rest of it, but now it's impossible. Let's let's um, end on a more maybe more uplifting note, yeah. because I wanted you to go back to you saying that... Um, you were referencing poetry, and I just—I was kind of curious as to who the poets were that you were kind of raised on, and kind of that fed into your kind of, you know, um, I mean, education. Uh, yeah, Dylan Thomas, yeah. Edith Piaf. Yeah, not Edith Perfect. Piaf. That's Sorry, great. bloody hell! <laughs> I'm going. My, I honestly names. It's all right. Don't worry. We can, um, we can do it again. Colossus. So. Who wrote Colossus? Um, you've you've got me. Um, um, oh, you mean do you mean Sylvia? Thank Pratt? you, bloody hell! Yeah, Edith Piaf. I can see how your brain did that. Yes, can you, I don't know how yeah. I function as a person. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've. I mean, I've done that. I do that so many times, and you'll you'll do it more as you get older as well. You just kind of your brain just switches two things. But Edith Piaf and Sylvia Plath, I can hear. That. Yeah, yeah, and also. Edith Piaf was a poet. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I, 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 my French is is okay, so I can kind of get her poetry, but I can hear her yeah. pain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just that's. I mean, that's a great advert for not doing drugs. Is that I'm 39. <laughs> I can't remember fucking anything. Um, but yeah, I, Sylvia, I, I, Sylvia Plath, and Dylan Thomas were the two um, that I carried with me. Um, yeah, those two. I mean, and why do you why do you think those? I mean, Plath is a poet of pain, you know. There is a bit of beauty in there as well, and yeah. sort of, it's just visceral. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. Dylan Thomas, there's like this kind of blood like coagulation with his with his with his kind of cadence, and I just I yeah. just love him. I just love his poetry, and it reminds me of my granddad. Yeah. Um, but only because I saw no. that he read it. You know, we didn't read it together. Yes. It's not something we bonded on in that sense. 
sometimes that's just as important finding a book on a bookshelf finding someone's name written in the front of a book exactly you know sometimes those things are valid and important and a painter who would who would that kind of visceral impasto painter be i mean hmm who would my favorite be kiffin it's a welsh painter oh don't know i think again let me check that yes you don't have to edit this out i'm shit with names (laughs) uh kiffin williams yeah uh, brilliant someone i've never heard of i always love it when that happens yeah um that, that and tell me a little bit about them and then we'll uh well i mean it's it's of welsh landscapes and and portraits and there's yeah. a real beautiful violence to his stroke and um it just it just is it's just stunning to look at um i don't i don't go deep into art like that i just enjoy what i enjoy it looks beautiful yeah. it feels good um <clears throat> to a good reference point for anyone well just look them up I don't need to reference yeah. other artists do I Kiffin Williams for impasto Brilliant. sure yeah but I love that. I love that, that there's that been that through line today, just of that sense of like the, you know, the, the, the visceral, the raw, but also that idea, that thing you said about poetry, it's like you don't have to understand a poem to appreciate its sound, its life, mm. and it's kind of, and it's, you know, force. Because I think that's one of the things you notice a lot with people who say, oh, I read that poem, I didn't understand it. It's like, you know, read it out loud and, and hear what it sounds like. Yeah. You know, which I kind of think is very similar to your approach to the lyric, you know, that sense in which kind of if you don't pick up on every point, hear, you know, hear what it sounds like and hear what it sounds like in the context of the song. Absolutely. Yeah. Joe, that's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for letting me go a little bit off the path and talk about more than just the Timber Timber album, because I really enjoyed that. Great. And I really appreciated it. Thank I you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Much love. You're listening to to Mojo Records. Okay, now we come to the part of the show where I welcome Mojo editor John Mulvey and we review two of the best new records of the week. My choice this week is Wall of Eyes, the second album from Tom York, Johnny Greenwood and Tom Skinner, that is in no way a Radiohead side project. Now, if you took a straw poll of the Mojo staffers and freelancers in terms of who was the biggest Radiohead fan, I'd come, I'd come quite low down on that list. However, I love this. I went back to listen to Radiohead's last studio LP to try and work out what was the difference. And it's space. There is more space here. By contrast, Heart Shaped Pool is a much more crowded, claustrophobic record. Here, I liked how relaxed, warm, cool, and laid back and in the room the whole sound is. The last, um, the last Tom York-related project that I really loved was the Suspiria score. And I think this is the same producer, Sam Petz Davis. And that is a good decision because there, it's, to use a, technical term here it's good dynamics there's so much i like here i like um tom skinner's small kit jazz drumming 
I like the sort of pastoral prog groove on a lot of the tracks. At times, it sounded like Caravan doing King Crimson. So you got that kind of, you know, soft pastoral approach to stuff that is quite, you know, sort of frippatronic and complex at times. And there's definitely some Robert Fripp tones to Johnny Greenwood's guitar um, on tracks like um, Under Our Pillows. And um, I also... um, I went back to the first um, The Smile album, A Light for Attracting Attention, and didn't get the same feeling. This is The Smile album I wanted, I realized. And I'll, I'll play a track from it now, and then we can come back and say a bit more. This is Friend of a Friend, written by Tom York, Johnny Greenwood, and Tom Skinner, and released on XL Recordings. I think it's very good actually Andrew and I think it's one of those records that the more I play it the more I like it it's quite an insidious record it, it, sometimes it feels quite um, slippery and elusive on first few listens and I think what you define as space perhaps some people might initially dis- define as there isn't actually that much there yeah Whereas I think with Radiohead, sometimes I feel there's too much there. So I suppose if that's one of the things you like about Radiohead, you like that kind of richness, complexity, the fact that you can go back and discover new little things in there. You're right. Maybe this isn't the sort of the Tom York and Johnny Greenwood band for you. But but it is quite like Radiohead, (laughs) brutally. And also I would say the kind of, my my favourite version of Radiohead as well. It, it's kind of, I think my relationship with Radiohead is that I have to be honest and say I was never particularly a fan of the big nineties records. Yeah, and they got a lot more interesting for me for me from Kid A onwards. Yeah, and actually, a moon shaped pool is is the record is the twenty first century record by Radiohead that I actually personally like the least. Yeah, okay, um, because it feels a bit overcooked. Maybe, and, yeah, maybe um, that's what I'm hearing. And yeah. the string arrangements feel a bit ostentatious. And yeah. given Johnny Greenwood's very interesting kind of scoring for all the Paul Thomas Anderson things and the stuff that he does and his kind of his understanding of minimalism and, and avant-garde composition and that kind of thing, they felt a bit more kind of rote in yeah. terms of the way that those string arrangements worked on that record. Where's the, 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 the indie rock kind of strings yes, sort of thing, yes. you know? Whereas there are string arrangements here that are really kind of, they're not overt in the same way. They're sort of, you know, there's a subtlety to them, yeah. the way they're worked into the into the tracks. Especially on something like Bending Hectic, where yeah. where it, it has that kind of, uh, kind of almost bur- like sort of, abstracted Bernard Herrmann kind of thing yes. to that, that sort of stabbing crescendo. But well, it's interesting you talking about preferring it to a light for attracting attention because I do too. And yeah. I think one of the um, 
sort of uh, USPs of um, the smile in the first place. I remember when those first tracks came out, they were being presented, I, I doubt very much by the band themselves, but as as a kind of post-punk, Radiohead's yeah. post-punk mm. side project. My God, this doesn't sound like a post-punk record no. at all. You know, it's, it's kind of, it, it's like, um, it's a techno-literate update of pre-punk. Like yeah. we were talking about Caravan and that, but yeah. but at the same time, by taking away this kind of unique thing, this whole post punk kind of tag to it, in the same way that Tom York solo records are quote unquote electronic, mm. and Johnny Greenwood's scores and his solo work is more quote unquote avant classical. What this leaves you with is kind of a bunch of songs that would work perfectly well as Radiohead songs. I do prefer it like this because of that sense of it's not, it feels very much like that. The drumming is small kit drumming to me. It feels very much kind of like an in the room, three people playing together. Whereas certainly in the, you know, in with Radiohead, I don't feel that when I go back to Radiohead albums, I feel, you know, there is something, it's from something very grand and rich and expansive and, you know, kind of a bit smothering, I find. And I didn't feel that at all with this. What you say about Tom Skinner is interesting because he's such a good drummer, but he's also, for a jazz drummer, he doesn't fit that kind of, <laughs> that sort of, you know, Buddy Rich, Gene Krupa kind of ostentatious. Absolutely, absolutely not. He's very unostentatious in yeah. the way that he plays. And initially, again, I think that was a bit of a niggle for me with this record in that, like, you've got this amazing, flexible drummer He's maybe not doing enough yeah. for me, but actually, well, for one thing, I suspect he's doing more than playing drums on this record. Yeah, and I also think it's kind of when knowing when not to play as well, and kind of, right, and yeah. I think you know, and I think that's one of the things that you you might also say that I like about this record as well. It's knowing when to leave stuff out. Definitely, uh, I suppose it's kind of. I guess what we're working towards is that this is a really good record if you like Radiohead, and it's actually a pretty good record if you're not too sure about Radiohead yeah, as well. exactly. It's kind of like, don't, like me, let the Radiohead connection sort of keep you away and put you off. And don't, if you like Radiohead, let the Smile <laughs> Project um, keep you away or put you off. There you go. That's quite a nice fudge on which to end, isn't it? But it's kind of, it's basically saying, come on, come all, isn't it? Anyway, John, what is what is your record of the week? Uh, it's a record that's perhaps not quite as big a deal in the great scheme of things as a, as a Radiohead side project, but um, it's one that I've got really into over the past couple of weeks. It's um, it's a record by a band or a collective or something. It's all a bit enigmatic, I have to say. From Los Angeles, they're called House Band. Um, a name I appreciate, which maybe isn't the easiest to Google. Um, one other record that has turned up at Mojo in the past couple of weeks, which isn't out for a couple of months yet, is um, the latest in that series of archival Canon live albums that have been trickling out over the past few years. And this one is um, a 1973 set from Paris, and I think it's the first one in the series that actually has Damo Suzuki on it, so it's... Um, it's a slightly different iteration because I think a yeah, lot of those... Yeah, I'm very pleased about that. This yeah, exactly. Is I, this is the one, one I've been waiting for. It's like, right. you know, it's, fi it's fine to have, you know, some great extended jams from the other guys. But, you know, when you know that those 
um, recordings are out there with demo on them. You're yeah. kind of quietly waiting for those to turn yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. 75 is brilliant live can, but yeah. we've maybe had enough for a bit yes. now. So let's go to 73. Anyway, um, House Band sits really nicely next to that record and that kind of jam. I mean, with no demo Suzuki, it's all instrumental music. Um, what can I say about House Band? They're... they're um, the record's called Aventurine or Aventurine. I'm conscious that this is the latest. Season two begins with me not being sure how to pronounce the name of a record <laughs> or a band very much where where season one left off, I think. Um, and I, I actually did Google that. And apparently it's a type of quartz that is the luckiest of all crystals. And I think that perhaps gives you an indication of some of the slightly ironic, slightly kind of baggy uh mindset that a house band come from they're actually they're aligned to the jam band scene and one of the two core members is a guy called brian harding who runs this uh fan site sort of account on instagram called about the band fish which is and i speak very much not as an official aficionado of fish i have to say it's quite funny and quite endearing and quite uh self-aware and perhaps some jam band stuff might not be and while house bands record has that kind of loose creative anything goes vibe of the best jam bands actually it's kind of more like funky post-rock if anything it's the the feel of it is more like um tortoise around the time of tnt but also and this is something they've mentioned themselves quite a lot like those kind of funky, scrappy um, post-meters instrumentals that the Beastie Boys used to knock out in the early 90s. You know, those bits in the gigs where they'd stop being a rap band and they'd stop being a hardcore band and they'd start sort of noodling away and to the to the sort of bemusement of about 70% of the crowd, I think, quite often. But I was used to really like that, those bits as well. For that, for that 30%, you're saying that the, the house band are the, are the band they need. Let's, let's hear a yeah. little bit of them. This is um, the track Spinners by House Band, written by House Band, and currently available to hear on Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube. Okay, John, I love this. It's sprawling, stoned, laid back, dubby, all the things I love. But my main question, and probably once they stop listening to this podcast, uh, the main question the listeners will have is where can I buy this bloody record? I mean, I can listen to it on Spotify. I can download it on Apple Music, which means it isn't really mine. It's not available on Bandcamp. It's not available on any hard format where you can actually own it. And as someone who still buys music and still likes to feel that they are giving money to artists and, and sort of, you know, directly, I'd like 
it's an, if anyone knows how I can buy this record, even if it's you, John, please get in touch. But maybe this, but maybe this is the future now, where it's it's cheaper to just make music and not release it and not be part of the industry. But it stretched to double or triple vinyl. It's quite a long record, isn't it? Well, that, I think that's definitely the start. So I have asked this question because because God knows if ever there is a record that you want on vinyl, it's this. It's amazing, and it's kind of. Um, I'd be, it's yeah, it's kind of it, it's so kind of um, absorbing in this very gentle and 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 sort of interesting way that I sometimes forget it's been on yeah. so long, it, it, which is which is a good thing I think. Uh, so I've asked Brian, I've, I've been corresponding with Brian quite a lot, and they they currently have no plans to put right. it out in any format. But I think that's more of a kind of financial expediency yeah. at this point so so i guess maybe something we can do is is give a bit of a call out at this point and say go and listen to this record and if you've got any spare money or you're running a label and you want to put out the house band yeah. record out i i think they'd like to hear i think their sound is i mean in terms of like mojo readers but also a lot of the you know people i follow on social media and their taste this is very much a kind of Yes, it's kind of retro and it references things, as you say, like, the, you know, the meters and can and tortoise. But it feels like the way in which it mixes those and the way in which it references those feels very contemporary. And it's like my I do have that thing. And maybe it's an illness that if I like a record, I want to feel that I can give the people some money and I can own it before it dis- before, right. you know, especially in, in this day and age before it disappears off off, well, a, I mean, off a, I, you know off a streaming channel you know now more than ever and i don't want to give them a hard time because obviously as you said it's a financial expediency that they haven't released it but now more than ever you feel like you know fans need to be in the position where they can own the music that they love and this i would go so far as to say is one of the first records of the year where i could honestly say that i do love it and i you know and i would yeah. like even if it's just buying it on Bandcamp, which would not when when you when you're actually I mean I'm not a musician so I can't tell but maybe when you're playing that way and there is not the slightest thought in your mind about how this is going to be disseminated you're just getting on with the groove or whatever then maybe that's quite a liberating position to be in when you're making music and then just getting it out yeah. there and then seeing hopefully by word of mouth we'll get to a place where some cool little label will think that this is worth investing yeah. in and putting on really heavy vinyl it really deserves <laughs> really deep grooves doesn't yes, it you know? definitely so that's your mission listeners <laughs> put, find, start a label and put a record out for us because andrew and i want it in our collections in many ways two you know two records with very similar aims but just one with a, a you know a massive con- label conglomerate behind them to release it um but two you know two but you know very much artists just kind of finding a way to play music together that is kind of free from a lot of the trappings that have preceded them i think that's it i think that wraps it up you have been listening to joe talbot john mulvey and myself andrew mail that was the mojo record club and we hope to see you at the next one and remember you can all join in and please look in the episode description for full details of all the tracks we played and if you enjoyed what you heard don't forget to like and subscribe and spread the word. 
Thank you for listening, listening, for listening to the Mojo, Mojo, Mojo Record, Record Club, 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 Club. Hand dyed with St. John's wort, then encrusted in salt. <laughs>